Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. This podcast is sponsored by TheraWorks Relief. Many of you get sore, achy legs from standing all day or get asked about painful foot and leg cramps. If so, you're going to want to hear about TheraWorks Relief, a clinically proven topical foam that prevents and relieves muscle cramps and soreness. Learn more at theraworksrelief.com. Hey listeners, in this episode, you'll hear from two second year pharmacy residents who will be discussing their research on burnout. Main discussion points for the podcast will be on burnout, residency, the value of residency training, and how to get involved with research. Stay tuned to listen to Shannon and Christine share about their experience. All right, so today we have two special guests on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We have two second-year pharmacy residents at The Ohio State University College of Pharmacy. First off, we have Shannon Krause, PharmD and board certified in pharmacotherapy. And she is a second year health system pharmacy leadership and administration resident at Ohio Health Riverside Methodist Hospital. Shannon received her doctorate of pharmacy from Ohio Northern University in 2017 and is currently earning a master of science in health system pharmacy administration from the Ohio State University College of Pharmacy. This year, Shannon's research project has been evaluating burnout in an entire health system pharmacy department. She's also serving on Ohio Society of Health System Pharmacists Clinical Resilience and Wellbeing Task Force. And upon completion of residency, Shannon will serve as the medication safety uh, specialist or medication strategy specialist at Wake Forest Baptist Health. Christine Mason. PharmD is a second year community pharmacy leadership and administration uh, pharmacist. She is, or she received her doctor of pharmacy from the Ohio State University College of Pharmacy and is currently earning a Master of Science in Health System Pharmacy Administration. This year, Christine's research project is evaluating burnout and community-based pharmacist practitioners in the state of Ohio and is also a member of the Clinical Resilience and Wellbeing Task Force. Christine is serving on numerous committees within the Ohio Pharmacists Association and within APHA. Shannon and Christine, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Well, thanks for joining us. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro or share a little bit about your personal life. Sure. So yeah, both of us, I'm excited to have dug deep into burnout research during our residency years. Of course, had a great foundation throughout pharmacy schools that um, gave us the clinical um, foundation to become great pharmacists. But um, throughout residency, really developing that operational safety mindset um, and then thinking about our people too. So with the master's degree at The Ohio State University, um, we get to collaborate with 
institutions across Central Ohio and beyond um, learning about different leadership skills and how to succeed as pharmacy leaders. And um, doing so, we were able to tap into that burnout research that um, both of us are very passionate about to help ourselves and our teams be more resilient, but also pass that knowledge on to the profession as a whole. Wonderful. And so, ladies, how did you guys get so interested in the topic of burnout? Yeah, so I think, you know, we started to see burnout come, you know, more and more in pharmacy literature, but it's been around for quite some time in medical literature. So, you know, I have my experience in community-based practice and most of the, I guess, the research and the projects that I've had the opportunity to be involved with are really around kind of workforce issues. So looking at retention and engagement, specifically of technicians in community practice, because we know that technicians are really the lifeblood of community pharmacy and they allow us to, you know, to be pharmacists that practice at the top of our license. So the more I got involved in kind of understanding what the workforce looks like and the issues that are really affecting the workforce in general in pharmacy, um, I started to to really dive in more about, about burnout. And I know we've talked a lot about all of the impacts of burnout. So it's kind of one of those things you learn a little bit and then you want to just learn a little more and more and more until you're fully immersed in it. So the more that I got to see kind of from our other healthcare colleagues um, about the impacts of burnout in patient safety, patient satisfaction, um, provider health and satisfaction with their job. So it was one of those things that I was kind of already looking at these workforce issues. And the more I heard about burnout and the more I learned, it just kind of, it sucks you in. It's a really interesting topic that um, I'm glad that we're learning more about in pharmacy, but there for a while, we really didn't have any information about what burnout looks like in pharmacy. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating that you both are in two very different practice settings. Are you seeing it, it equally across the board or do you have any more insights on, uh, the community setting versus hospital? Yeah, that's a great question. And we have done some comparisons and some contrasting. And I say as a whole, um, the differences in the health system setting, at least in my research, we see that that area of personal accomplishment. So burnout is three areas. It's the depersonalization, so that disconnect from your patients, feeling of emotional exhaustion, so just really worn out at the end of your workday. And then personal accomplishment is feeling as though maybe you didn't achieve as much as you would have hoped for during your workday. And what we see in the health system setting is that personal accomplishment piece has the greatest variation among location, so where you're working, among the type of role within the health system, so whether it's administrator or technician or pharmacist. So all those demographic variables, that's where you see the grace variation. And the levels are really high, moderate, low in each dimension. And we fell into that moderate category for emotional exhaustion, which is better than physician and nurses, but um, Christine can elaborate a little bit more what she saw in that piece, especially in the community. Yeah, so when we looked at, again, those same three dimensions, we both used the same validated survey tool. So when you start to think about research, having those validated survey tools is really important. And so we both used the the same tool to assess burnout. And in community-based practice, we see emotional exhaustion really being where folks are at highest risk. So for emotional exhaustion, when we look at like community-based practice as a whole, not pulling apart any demographic information, we see that community-based practitioners are at high risk for emotional exhaustion, which 
I don't think is surprising when we sit back and think about it, but it's scary to have the data to kind of back that up. So when we start to think about, you know, what do the interactions look like day to day that people are having in different practice settings? If you think about community-based practice, those people are really engaging with patients, you know, patient after patient all day long, those face-to-face interactions where, you know, they are building relationships with patients and really able to provide that individualized care. But that's also emotionally draining for the for the practitioner themselves. So I don't think it was surprising to see that, but definitely having the data to back it up was was a little scary. Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 drug disposal of controlled substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. Yeah, that this is all so fascinating, and I'm I'm so proud and and thankful that you all are doing this research, and uh, noticing that that Ohio even has whole committee dedicated to it, uh, workforce resilience and clinical resilience and well being task force. Yes, so I, I think that's amazing. Has that been established for for a while in Ohio, or or how did that? come to be or, yeah, or I'm no, glad that you. you're involved. Uh, it was more in response to ASHP's initiatives, um, focusing on resilience. And that was a big focus of last year's summer meeting. And then in turn, joining the National Academy of Medicine. So the Ohio Society of Health System Pharmacists um, joined that alliance to keep well-being top of mind for our profession. And so we actually just had our annual meeting in Ohio this past week. And um, that was really the key theme. And so um, those that had the opportunity to speak and share on the topic. They had a nice gold star next to the name, just showing that it is really a key focus um, for our state as a whole, of course, for our profession. Um, and so we were lucky that we were able to assist with really making that the forefront of the annual meetings focus um, by joining that task force earlier, I guess this year, this year in terms of like academic year, but not this year in terms of 2019. Wonderful. Love it. And so ladies, could you share just a few strategies um, that you would share with our listeners and, you know, the profession just about how to prevent burnout? Great question. Part of our research also asked, you know, what are those top stressors and what strategies would be most beneficial to help promote a culture of well-being? And that's actually maybe one of the key things. Um, So when we're thinking about culture of well-being, that might be encouraging your teams to take time off or take you know, it could be, you know, using their um, PTO time, but it could also be like taking those breaks that you're allotted during the day and truly savoring them, like not working through your break and creating systems that allow pharmacists, technicians, your teams to do just that. Um, so making sure that you are, you know, prioritizing caring for yourself, providing abundance of resources such as um, free gyms or the access to them, um, different mental health services, things that you can even call over the phone to get advice and recommendations if you don't have a some sort of um, like employee assistance program at your sites. And this is more, I guess, you know, from a health system perspective too. Um, but then also thinking, you know, one of the biggest drivers of stress, at least based on my research, was staffing models. So, you know, just thinking how 
are you staff? Is it the most lean and efficient way? And it might not mean adding more people, but maybe just shifting around workflows so that there is an equal distribution of work. And so just really continuing to look into that as leaders and as team members too, you can bring those recommendations to your manager to provide ideas and ways to optimize the current workflow. So those are the two main things I'd say from the health system perspective would be looking at your workflows and promoting that culture where you you are a priority and you do have that opportunity to take care of yourself. Yeah, and I think we saw a lot of you know similar things in the community setting. One of the things that definitely stood out for community-based practice when we when we asked them, you know, what are the things that you know cause you stress in the workplace and what are you, things that you think could help improve the stress um, that you experience in the workplace? And definitely staffing models stood out. And so I think that's something that across our profession we're still you know working on on understanding what's the ideal you know, staffing model and practice model to be able to support patients and support the practitioners. So I think that's something that um, we definitely have a lot more understanding to do as a profession in that area. But also it's, you know, it's different everywhere. It's different, not only by practice type or practice setting, but then also, you know, different organizations within the same, you know, quote unquote, practice type. So really understanding, you know, by the expectations that are of you as an employee or that as an organization you have of your employees, does the staffing model really promote that? Um, And then another thing that we saw was the control that people feel that they have in their day-to-day or when they're at work. So really understanding, you know, control the controllables. What are the things that are in your control um, is something that I think is really meaningful for helping with workplace stress and helping with burnout prevention is is really understanding how can you practice at the top of your license? How can you achieve what, you know, what you'd like to achieve when you came into work that day? You know, what really motivates you and drives you and really being sure that that is aligned with what you're actually doing. So really, you know, your personal kind of control of what you do day to day, as well as the staffing model to be able to support that. Well, this is so amazing. And so ladies, I think listeners are going to want to dig even more into this. Uh, so are, will you be working to publish any of your research? I know that you guys are probably sharing about that um, at the end of, of your residencies to um, do a presentation, I'm sure. But um, any other ways that that our listeners might be able to, to learn a little bit more or any, any final tips to share about burnout before we move on to residencies? Absolutely. Stay tuned for our manuscripts, which I'm sure will be warmly accepted or whatever we submit them to. Um, But also just for your own learning, you can look at the National Academy of Medicine. That is really the hub for a lot of the resources for healthcare professionals. And so if you want to dive deeper on your own, that would definitely be a good place to start. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much. And now let's let's talk a little bit more about residency. So you guys have chosen to do two years of residency training. So can you share a little bit more with others about what's the what's been the value of getting your residency training and, and why you decided to choose a residency versus going straight out into the workforce? So I remember um, when a mentor of mine sat down with me and really helped me look at those options, you know, comparing residency versus, yes, joining the workforce. And of course, the financial incentive of going right into the workforce is very enticing. But when I was thinking about what are my long-term goals and what skills would I need to achieve those? And so um, a goal is to be a leader in pharmacy. And of course, I could work my way up, which would be one option if I were to just join the workforce. Um, But I saw the great value in having that continued 
shaping and molding as a resident when you have great guidance and mentorship from different preceptors and leaders, but then also with our two-year program, getting that master's degree where you're really getting that solid knowledge base that you can build upon throughout your profession. And so um, having that is almost just a springboard and uh, happy to have landed my dream job um, post-residency. So I think it really gets gives you the skills and the confidence that you need to excel in whatever dream job you may have. Yeah, and I definitely you know would echo a lot of the things Shannon said. I think with administration um, and leadership kind of focus, it's that's where people are like, oh, you did two years of residency, and it's kind of shocking to them that it's a two year commitment. But when we think about folks that go into clinical specialties, you know, nobody bats an eye that you do a year of a general residency and then a year of a specialization in a clinical area. So I think when we frame the two-year type of administration programs in that lens, that the the leadership and administration truly is a specialization, especially when it's paired with a degree that allows you to get both kind of a didactic and a practice experience kind of rolled up into one. That's definitely something that that I saw as a reason to make the commitment to two years worth of residency. And like Shannon said, you know, being sure that it really aligns with your goals, you know, going through pharmacy school, what you think you want to do when you graduate changes about 500 times. But once you figure out, you know, what really does motivate you, and I like to tell people like what fuels your fire. So whatever that is, making sure that if you do choose to pursue additional training, whether it be through additional degrees or through residency training, that it's really going to help you achieve those long-term goals that you have for yourself. Excellent. And could you both share a little bit more about what you do or or what you have done as a resident? Sure. Our calendars might look a little bit different, you know, from a health system versus community setting, but at the same time, so although it is blended with our master's degree, you know, we really do get that PGY1 experience. And then the PGY2 is more of that um, pharmacy administration specialization, as Christine kind of mentioned. And so for me, between my first and second year, a blend of clinical rotation. So of course, the ASHP require general medicine and critical care, but also electives within palliative care, but then also really shaping what you're learning in class and allowing you to apply that within your hospital setting. And so through operation rotations, regulatory, med safety, HR, I'm able to apply so much of what I've learned, which is excellent because it's your first opportunity to apply that knowledge. And then you're also getting great feedback from preceptors. Um, and now towards the end of the year, getting to do maybe more electives and things that interest you as a potential resident for all those listeners or just whatever individual um, might be interested in. And so I've been focusing a lot on quality and medication utilization to help prepare for my role post-residency. Yeah. And I would say, you know, the general structure is is pretty similar for the community-based program compared to the health system. So our first year is really the PGY1 in community. So really focused on patient care and being that competent and competent clinical practitioner in the community-based setting. So a lot of direct patient care, really understanding how community pharmacists have a role in transitions of care and, and providing those services in the community where patients you know, where patients live and eat and breathe. And so that's where we spend our time in our PGY one year, you know, in addition to the master's courses, more from, you know, a didactic standpoint that are integrated with practice. And then in the second year, focusing on administration and what that looks like in the community setting. So a lot of the similar topics that Shannon talked about, you know, med safety, HR, um, team building, coaching, things like that. But obviously the setting is a little bit different. So the activities will look different, but the general themes and topics of the things that we're learning align between the two programs. 
Excellent. And I'll just say too, I don't think I've ever heard a pharmacist say that they've regretted doing a residency. So yeah, even though uh, there it is, it is very in, in, intensive, but still very manageable. Uh, you get so much out of, of that experience. Um, so very proud of your work. Let's talk a little bit about research. So that word can sometimes be a little intimidating to people. Uh, I know when when I was in school, I, I always thought it was a little intimidating until you just kind of get started. And so share a little bit about how to get involved with research and, and about choosing a project. Yeah, I definitely think that you know, as students or as residents that have never done research before, people do hear research and it's like the, oh my gosh, the gasp moment of what did I get myself into? But I'm a self-proclaimed nerd, so I love research. Um, it's really an opportunity for us to see, you know, what's going on in, in the world of pharmacy and what don't we know and how can we figure it out? So it's a really cool opportunity to just keep on learning. And so getting involved in research is Um, While it feels really daunting, it's not that complex once you start to understand kind of the nuts and bolts of things. I think, you know, for residents, for example, a lot of times you come in and and you're choosing your project. And I think that in itself is really overwhelming because you don't understand the research process. You don't understand what your role is. And now somebody wants you to pick a question to research. And what does that even mean? So I think that's one of the most overwhelming moments of research, especially in a residency when you have to choose the topic. And I always think that the best research topics really happen kind of serendipitously. So um, you might come in with an idea of wanting to look at whatever topic you think is is interesting and a need in the literature. But the more that you, you know, see what's happening in practice and talk to your, your preceptors or mentors or folks at your practice site, you kind of get molded into a topic that really has this true, true need that you might not have even known existed. So I think getting involved in research is really just being being open to the idea and being open to the idea of being uncomfortable and, and just kind of figuring out what's going on is always the advice that I give people when they're trying to get involved in research is really just you know, soak everything up like a sponge and see where there's an opportunity where you hear something and you say, but what about this? Or how do I learn more about that? And then there's nothing to answer that question. And I think that's a great way to get involved in research and kind of pick a question to get you started. Yeah, that was really great advice from Christine. And the only thing I would add is, especially in residency or in a learning setting, um, there's going to be so many resources available to you. So whether that's that academic research team or um, a mentor or preceptor who's going to coach you through that process for your first time. So never be afraid to tap into those resources. They are abundant and very helpful. Thanks, ladies. And are there any challenges to completing research? I'm sure there's challenges along the way, depending on, you know, the scope of your project, if it's quality-based in nature or more of a clinical type of trial. Um, I'd say IRB approval is usually the first hurdle to overcome. And then from there, um, could be just various things, maybe trouble getting data, trouble analyzing, and maybe you didn't get the data that you wanted initially. So it's kind of a bit of rework. So recommendation just to really think through all the items that you may need because secondary analyses are always a possibility. So trying to do as much thought on the front end and just being very intentional about that to um, prevent you know, rework or extra time later on. Yes. I think that timing is always very important. That's a great point because you never know how, exactly how long IRB approval may take. So very helpful. Well, Shannon and Christine, 
this has just been such a fun and informative discussion. I was just so impressed with our future leaders in the pharmacy profession. So what is some advice as our final question that you would share with your younger self or for other student pharmacists or, you know, new pharmacists who are, are just getting started in their careers? Reflecting back, I guess, throughout pharmacy school and residency, piece of advice that I would emphasize to everyone listening is really don't underestimate the power of a mentor. I definitely say whenever I went to pharmacy school, I was hoping to be a pharmacist at our local Costco potentially, um, but definitely took a different route. And that was because of really great mentors that helped me identify what my true passion was, where my strengths aligned and um, helped me to identify a great residency program that would help me um, achieve all those goals. So tap into those mentors. They can be formal, informal. Usually it's an older student. That's what really helped me along the way. And um, continue to nurture those relationships throughout your career because pharmacy, as everyone says, as cheesy as it is, but it is a small world and you definitely connect with people again and again. Yeah, I definitely agree with Shannon that, you know, a mentor is really important. The one piece of advice that I like to give students or incoming residents is kind of the power of yes. So, You never know what opportunities are going to open doors for you or help you find things that you're really passionate about that you never had considered in the past. I definitely tell people, say yes. You never know where an opportunity is going to take you or who you're going to get to meet. That's one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give people is to say yes. But I think kind of on the flip side of that is if something, I hate the word failure, but if something fails, don't think of it as a failure. It was a it was a learning opportunity. And it's not the fact that it didn't go as planned, but it's how you learn from it and keep moving forward. So that's the other piece of advice that I give people. Wonderful. Well, thank you. That I love it. Uh, finding a mentor and the power of yes. Such great tips and and a wonderful time visiting with you, Shannon and Christine. Thank you so much for being guests on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you for having us. It's been really fun. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. Also, another special thanks to our sponsor, TheraWorks Relief. Check it out if you have sore, achy leg cramps. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, Connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.